We're going to notice tonight the first four verses as the foundation for our sermon. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Have you ever felt like it was just enough? It was just enough. It was time to stop. You were, you were through fighting. You didn't want to go on fighting. And it was just enough. It was time to be over. Have you ever been watching the news and maybe the uh, financial section of the news come on and you see that market graph and you see the, the spikes up and down and, and flat and over and, and you look at that and that describes something for us. It describes the market when it's good. You see that high peak. Kind of looks like a mountain, doesn't it? And then you see when the market's not doing so well and you see it going down and it kind of looks like a valley to us as it tracks the activities of the various stocks of which it is keeping record. Now life is similar because it is also a continuation of mountain peaks and valleys and level spots and and this and that. We have highs and lows and that's just the way life is. So what are we going to do when things get into the valley. And, and you know, once you go into a valley, you have to go down to the bottom of the valley, and it takes a while to get to the bottom of the valley. Then it takes a little while to come up out of the valley. So for a period of time, you're just simply in the valley. And you need to get back to the mountaintop, right? But then it takes a little time for that. You know, we've never been promised a continuous mountain peak. We've never been... Uh, It's never been determined that we're always going to be in the valley, necessarily. But we've never been promised a continuous mountain peak. And that isn't peculiar to our own time, is it? That's been going on since time has been in existence, and people have followed God. And and whether they followed God or not, we see that there are highs and there are lows, and there are things that go on in life that we wish would not happen. But simply it does, and we have to keep going. And we see for us tonight in this example in 1 Kings about a prophet, a man by the name of Elijah, and he had some wonderful highs and he had some terrible lows. We ought to be able to look at that and we need to learn something from that. We need to be able to make some kind of an application. We need to be encouraged to faithfulness even when the valleys come after the peaks. And there's not a greater example of that than the prophet Elijah. Now I've titled the sermon Tonight, when a prophet sees loss, what do we do? And we're not prophets, but we can use the example of a great prophet. We can make some kind of an application to our lives because we've all been discouraged at one point or another. And Elijah understood that. He knew the the heights of success and he understood the depths of despair. We see a man who was as depressed and discouraged as you can get. But we see what happened that brought him out of that. And we need to use that for an example. Now, there are things we can learn 
from Elijah, including the fact that the faithful of God will at times suffer discouragement. It's just going to happen. It's a part of life. It, it happens because sin came into the world and we are a, a product of creation and we live in this world and so we are affected by the things that happen in this world. Maybe more importantly though, we can learn how to overcome that discouragement and some of the things that Elijah did or had done to him and that he had to accept in order to come out of this discouragement in which he had found himself. So as we examine one of the times in Elijah's life, we're going to notice how he overcame a period of loss instead of profit. And we want to use that. We want to make some kind of an application. It's been left for us to do that. We need to read it and understand it and make that application to our own lives. And I want us to first consider Elijah's success. Now we're going to learn about his success but we need to learn some things about his success maybe we hadn't thought about before. Ahab, the king of Israel, had married a woman by the name of Jezebel. Now, success comes, and this is our first point, success comes because of preparation. Okay, we have to have, if we're going to enjoy success, we better have placed into our lives some preparation. And so let's understand exactly what led up to this success that Elijah had enjoyed. Ahab married a woman. Her name was Jezebel. Her father's name was Ethbel. He was the king of the Zidonians. And when we look at their names, it is very indicative of the fact that they were both Baal worshippers. They were named after that god, Jezebel and Ethbel. Under her influence, Ahab became a worshiper of Baal and he instituted that religion in God's nation. And then we see the enthusiasm of that Baal worship emanating from the palace. And do you know what happened then? It spread all through the nation just like a cancer. And so now what we have here is up to this point an unprecedented time of corruption in the, in the history of Israel as a nation, as a unified nation. And they began to worship idols. Now the time was right for Elijah. Elijah was right for the times, and he had already made a mark upon Israel. You remember the three and a half years of drought that came by the hand of God through Elijah because of the wickedness of Ahab and Israel, and it was the way in which God punished that nation. So Elijah, he challenged the priests of Baal and he challenged Ahab and he said, bring all of Israel together on Mount Carmel. There were 450 priests of Baal. There were 400 priests of uh, the groves and all of the apostate, apostate nation came together, 1 Kings 18, and that's what was going to happen. He challenged Ahab. You know what Ahab said? The question that Ahab delivered to Elijah when he saw him, and it is classic someone who is defiant to God. Verse 17 of 1 Kings 18, he asked Elijah, he said, Are you the one who troubles Israel? Who in fact was troubling Israel? It was Ahab. It was his wife Jezebel. And then we have Elijah the prophet who is standing up for God, 
and he comes before the nation as a whole. He's condemning the whole nation because of the idolatry, particularly Ahab and Jezebel. And, and Ahab has the gall and the nerve to say, Are you the one who is troubling this great nation? Now, Elijah responded in a way the king did not want to hear. But he told the truth, didn't he? Verse 18, he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house. So what we see here is we see a direct continuation of sinfulness in Israel. There wasn't a good king in the, in the northern kingdom. And so we see it was Ahab and his house all the way back because it came down through the bloodline. All the way back, and he says, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed Balaam. They worshipped all those many gods of Baal, 1 Kings 18, 18. Now we need to be reminded, and we need to stay and keep it in the forefront of our minds, those people who stand up and talk about the truths of God, and they back that up with Scripture, and they describe how a person ought to live before God, and then you have a group of people that do not like that in their lives, the one talking for God is not the troublemaker. That's not the troublemaker. The one who is defiant to God is actually the one causing the trouble. And we see it in our nation today. We see people standing up for what is the truth. And then you have all those who don't like the truth saying, Oh, you're cruel and inhumane and you're not doing... You claim to be a Christian, but you're not acting in a Christian way. Well, yes, we are. Simply because we do not endorse the sins of the world doesn't mean we hate the people involved in the sin. We just simply are not going to endorse their actions, but we're not causing the problems. It's the person who is defiant to God. Those who remind us of the truths of God are actually the ones who are trying to cease and to stop the problems. Those who forsake God are the source of the problems. Do you remember a man by the name of Diotrephes, 3 John? Diotrephes would cast out faithful brethren. And when John heard about that, verse 10 of 3 John, he said, when I come, I'll remind him. I'll remember what he has done. I'll bring that to his attention. Now, Diotrephes would have called John a troublemaker in the same way Ahab called Elijah a troublemaker. You have people who are faithful members of the church and they stand up and they say, we're not going to involve ourselves in certain activities we're not going to allow worship to be tainted in, in whatever way that may be the case. And those people are branded troublemakers. Well, Elijah, he told the king again to assemble all the people. He had the 450 prophets of Baal. He had the 400 prophets of the grove. And they came together and they were going to have a contest. And as he stood before those people, verse 21 of 1 Kings 18, Elijah told the people and he condemned them. He said, how long are you going to waver between two options or two opinions? If God is God, worship Him. If Baal is God, worship Him. Don't try to interact or bring together both kinds because that's what they would do. They, would try, they were infiltrating the worship of the true God of heaven with Baal worship. And we see it in the church today. We see people who want to bring in the instrument from the denominational world into the true worship of God. Or they want to allow our sisters to begin to stand up and lead in some way in the activities of the church. And we're not against women. We love our sisters. They're the backbone of the church in many cases, but they have a place just as men have a place. 
One's not greater than the other, but one is a leader and one is not. And that's the way God has chosen to do it. So he asked them, how long are you going to wait between two opinions? And so that's what the preparation was coming up to this. And Elijah was ready for it. Now I want us to notice the proceeding, how it unfolded. The prophets on each side, we remember the story or the account. They were to build an altar. They were to put a a sacrifice on it and pray to their God. And and we see the, the prophets of Baal doing that. And it went on all day long, beginning until in the morning until noon. They cried out, Oh, Baal, hear us, 1 Kings 18, 26. And do you know what they heard? They heard the same thing we're hearing from them at this time. Nothing. Baal didn't talk to them. He's not going to speak to us. And, and so they cried out, and, and Elijah, he incorporated a little sarcasm. And let, let it not be lost on us, the things that he said. He told them, he said, Cry a little louder. Maybe Baal is out for a walk. Maybe that's why he's not hearing you. He said, cry a little louder. Maybe he's in deep thought. Because he knew how ridiculous it was to worship an idol, and he wanted the people to understand that. He said, maybe he's on a hunting trip, or he's on some kind of a journey. In fact, you know, he might be asleep, and he needs to be awakened. So scream louder and louder, and it aroused them to such a frenzy. Do you know what they began to do? They just simply lost their minds and began to cut themselves and to cry out to, to their idol God, yet Baal was silent. Then we see the proof of the real God, and we see the success of Elijah. Elijah repaired an altar. He built it with twelve stones. He cut a bullock up into four pieces. He laid it up on the on the, uh, the altar, he poured water on the altar and on the sacrifice. He had dug a ditch around the altar itself and poured so much water on it that it filled up that ditch. And then he prayed to God after having dumped that 12 barrels of water. And he prayed to God, 1 Kings eighteen thirty six through 37, but the God of heaven answers. The God of heaven answers. He sent fire down. It burnt the sacrifice. It burned the wood. It burned the altar. And it licked up, it said, every bit of the water. Now that's success. He proved who should follow or who should be followed. Now we remember that. Now there's no point in just simply retelling the account, right? You can read that for yourself. But we need to understand what happened there And we need to understand that Elijah did have success, and that tells us something. Just because you have success does not mean you will not have discouragement. Just because something goes well for you for a period of time does not mean it will always go well for us, right? That's not going to be a continuous thing. Life has mountains and it has valleys. We'll be up, we'll be down, and we have to be able to handle that And we have to be able to remain faithful to God when those valleys come our way. Does it do us any good to simply recount what Elijah did? Again, you can read that for yourself. Now we have to do the same thing Elijah did. We have to be able to prove what we're talking about. Elijah did that through a miracle. We don't have miracles at our disposal today, but we have the Word of God. And we talked this morning about what 
Paul said concerning the Word of God that it was the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16, that we should never take anyone's word for it. God did not expect the people of Israel just to listen to Elijah and just take his word for it. They needed proof. Now, they had already had the proof, but this was to really grab their attention, right? And so we see following Elijah's success, really the main point that we're getting at tonight is... Following that success of Elijah, we see now the sedition of Jezebel. And that's our second point. And in that sedition, she pronounced a curse on Elijah. She heard about what happened. The great victory over Baal. And and Ahab went and he cried and he complained and he told Jezebel what happened. And you would think after that that there would have been this general rejection of Baal in the nation. But that's not at all what happened. Is that discouraging? Can it be discouraging to go out and canvass a whole community and no one seems to be interested? Well, it can be, but we need to be able to deal with that and handle it properly. Can it be discouraging to to want to live your life as a faithful Christian you're doing everything that you feel like is within your power and then it just seems like you still can't carry the burden? Is that discouraging? Of course it is. But we need to learn how to live through that and understand God didn't cause that to happen to us and He needs us to stay in the fight. See, Elijah, he was trying to get out of the fight. And we're talking about a great, faithful man of God. If it can happen to him, can it happen to me? (laughs) Absolutely. He was a great prophet. He stood before the people. He had the power of God. And he still became discouraged because of this curse. Jezebel was not going to give up so easily and lose the influence of Baal over the people. So she says she's going to do away with Elijah. She threatened his life. She said, this time tomorrow, you'll be like one of those prophets. And you remember what happened to the the prophets, right? Elijah took a sword and, and cut them to pieces in punishment for their idolatry. But that's often the case, isn't it? When one hears the gospel, they may even believe for a while, but then maybe something else grabs their attention and they like the old lifestyle better, and so they tend to go back to that. Jesus, on one occasion, He taught and performed miracles, and John recorded something that I think is very interesting. John 12, verse 42 He said, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They saw it, and yet they wouldn't believe it. Or they wouldn't confess it. Now the people of Israel saw what Elijah had done. Saw the defeat of the Baal of Prophets physically. 850 of them. And they still did not follow after God. And it still didn't matter to Ahab. It still didn't matter to uh, to Jezebel. So Elijah fled for his life. Now he made a 95 mile trek up to Bathsheba. And then he went another day's journey into the wilderness. And he found him a broom tree. The King James says a juniper tree. And he asked God to take his life. He just simply sat down and he said, it's enough. It's enough. Just take my life. Now does that sound like the man we just read about in... 1 Kings 18, that had the great success. See, he was at a peak. He was on a mountaintop. Now he's in a valley. But he's got to come out of the valley. He can't stay in the valley. 
God doesn't say you'll never be in a valley. All He says is don't stay there, right? Climb out of the valley. Work your way out of the valley. Be strong and courageous and do what God asked you to do and get out of the valley. Now we begin to see the process by which Elijah was over, able to overcome the discouragement. And we see that he had to have a little bit of help in doing that. And that's okay to need some help. We see the comfort that was brought to Elijah. What helps us come out of discouragement? Well, comfort. Jezebel cursed Elijah. I'm going to take your life. God comforted him. He said, don't worry about her. You follow after God. Don't worry about the people who are going to talk ugly to you. Follow after God. Don't worry about the people who try to encourage you to do the things in this life you don't need to do. Follow after God. Don't worry about all that Satan has put before us and is tempting us to do. Let's follow God and let's be in His comfort. Right? He will comfort us if we allow it. He takes up residence under this broom tree. Giving up. But in time an angel of the Lord came to him. Now notice what's going on here. An angel came to him, brought him some food, brought him some water. He ate, he drank, and he rested. I imagine Elijah was worn out, don't you? I imagine after the events of Mount Carmel, he was physically worn out. I imagine after that 95-mile trek and then further on into the wilderness, he was physically worn out. I imagine after hearing what Jezebel had pronounced on him, he was emotionally and mentally worn out. He was devastated and he needed to rest and he needed to take care of his physical body. Isn't that what happens? We become discouraged and we quit eating, we quit drinking, we just don't care about anything and what we need is some comfort and we have to though accept the comfort when it comes. What if Elijah had said, I'm not hungry, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink, and I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to pine away, and I'm going to stay awake, and I'm just going to hope for death and death? He would have simply died. His body couldn't have handled it. But he ate, he drank, and he slept. And then again, sometimes we need to eat and drink and sleep a lot, right? To come out of our discouragement because of the things our body's been through. And so the angel appeared again. Fed him again. He laid down and he slept again. He told him to eat and drink because he had a long journey. But see, that's something else we need to understand. Did simply because he was discouraged, God said, Okay, you're done. You can retire right off into the sunset and you did your work. That's not how it is for God's people. Our work does not end while our bodies are alive in this world. He said, Get up and eat and drink. Because you have work to do. You've got a journey on which you need to go. God provides comfort for His people if we allow it. Jesus said, come unto me all you who are uh, laboring or heavy laden and I'll give you rest. See, that's comfort, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Now, we might not get the physical comfort in this life, but we'll get the eternal comfort if we do it. But I, here's the thing I want us to, to keep in mind. When we are discouraged... And we have brethren who love us and they reach out to us. We have to accept the comfort. Is it good for someone who is discouraged to be holed up in their bedroom at home, not talking to anybody? I understand that feeling, but that cannot be how we address it and handle it. 
You have brethren offering comfort. You cannot give unless someone will receive. And so it is, we're just as obligated to receive as we are to give. How do we overcome discouragement? Accept the comfort. Accept the comfort. John wrote about heaven. Revelation 21, 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, here's something also that's very interesting. Do you imagine that Elijah felt better after having been visited by an angel twice? I imagine that would just that in itself would make you feel better. Do you imagine that Elijah felt a little better because God had delivered a message to him and he understood that God loved him and, and that he still needed him to do things for him in, in this life? I imagine that he felt better because of that. But here's something very important. Do you know what Elijah did? He took the comfort offered by God. But following that period of time, here's something else he did. He decided to travel another 130 miles, 40 days over to Horeb. And then he found himself in a cave. Now this time it wasn't a juniper tree. It was inside a cave. And he sat down and he said, just take my life. Now wait a minute. I thought he was beginning to feel better. Well, you know he had to have been. What does that tell us in this life? Sometimes the coming out of the valley doesn't make it all the way to the top before you go back into the valley. That's just the way of life, right? God doesn't say you can't be in the valley. It's wrong to be in the valley. He just says don't stay in the valley. Come out of the valley. So we see Elijah again seeping back into discouragement. So should I believe that I'll never be discouraged? So what happened? Again, God went to Elijah. Again, we see him reaching out. We see him offering comfort. And he tells him this time, he said, You're not alone. There are 7,000 people in this nation who have not bent the knee to Baal. So why are you asking me to take your life? And so, to grab his attention and to encourage him more, God presents to him his power. He reminds him of the God who he serves and what he's capable of doing. He sends a strong wind. He sends an earthquake. And then he sends a fire. But God was in none of those. But it's God's power over those. And then you know what he does to demonstrate his true power? After all of that, there was this still small voice after the wind and the earthquake and the fire, confirming that God used all of those powerful forms of nature, but He was still in control and He's greater than all. You know, sometimes we have to be reminded of the power of God, don't we? And how are we going to be reminded of the power of God? By being someone who maybe reaches out to offer comfort. By being someone who reminds someone who's going through discouragement, it'll be okay. We all go through discouragement. You won't go through it alone. Elijah didn't go through it alone. You know, Paul would later say, his will was accomplished by what many viewed as weakness. Notice 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 18. He said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to unto us who are saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of 
of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He asks, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God wasn't saying preaching was foolish. He was saying it's foolish to the world. I'll save you through that foolishness. But according to the world and their wisdom, God is nothing. That is exactly what Jezebel and Ahab thought. God is nothing. Why else would they worship an idol God? Because they believed it. Ahab's mind had become so twisted from the truth that God just gave him over Romans chapter 1. And he listened to Jezebel. You know, a lot of people are going to tell you, only ignorant people believe in the Bible and this fairy tale God of which they speak. See, to them it's foolish. But we can prove the inspiration of the Bible. And then, after having understood the success and the sedition, and we see the mountaintop and we see the valley, now what we're going to see is Elijah coming out of the valley. We're going to notice the strength, and this is our third point of God. God then revealed something to Elijah. And he did tell him about those 7,000 who were not worshiping Baal. Was that a majority? Was that a majority of Israel, the 7,000 that did not worship Baal? We think we see that, and that's a very insignificant number in the minds of the world. But you know what? It was a very significant minority. Why? Because it's God's people. It's God's people, and God is with His people. The Lord's people have always been small in number, but Jezebel was not going to defeat God. She was not going to discourage Elijah to the point that he was just simply going to give up because God comforted him. He reached out to him and Elijah had the faith in God to stand up and continue on. Paul used that illustration in Romans 11, 1 through 6 to show that there was a remnant among the Israelites who still believed and worshipped the God of heaven. Now when we look around us, and we see the, the anti-ism or the liberalism or whatever other kind of ism that exists in the, in the religious world today, we can become a little discouraged. But look, there's always a remnant of the faithful. We can look around at our lives in a more personal way with, with things that are happening outside of necessarily the church, and we say, well, my life isn't going well in this area or that area, and I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. But we can rest assured that other people have struggled with it and have been successful in overcoming it. But they did it through a process and they simply got out of the valley and they just didn't sit there. See, Elijah didn't sit in the valley. He was moving all the time trying to come out of the valley. Now, he may have stopped for a period of time. But he was always trying to get out of the valley. It's okay to be in a valley. It's not okay to stay there. And that's what God's trying to explain to us. So we see the revelation. Now, I want us to notice the determination we find in Elijah. See, this is key. It's important. And to his credit, he picked himself back up and got right back in the fight. Was that easy? No, it was not easy. And it is not easy, and it will not be easy. But we still must do it. 
And we can do it. We can do whatever we need to do. He came to realize that God was on his side. And that's why Paul would say, Romans 8, 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, the world will be against you, but what good does it do them? It doesn't do them any good. The world was against Jesus. They murdered him, but what good did it do them? Not a thing. He came right out of the grave and he's sitting, ruling over his kingdom even at this hour. If God's for us, who can be against us? So in time we see that Elijah once again bravely confronted Ahab over the murder of Naboth. And so, Elijah, he did what God needed him to do. He did and became what God needed him to become. And so, it was time after a while for him to go on. And so he left behind a man by the name of Elisha who took up the mantle and he carried on and he continued the work Elijah had started. And after he departed from this earth in a chariot of fire, he left Elisha with a double portion of his spirit which would be characteristic of his ministry. Now we can be comforted in knowing that if we will work hard, and we are who we need to be, and we get out of the valleys when they come our way, that we can encourage the next generation, and we can know for a surety the church will continue. It'll be faithful, but we have to do our part, right? Elijah had to do his part before Elisha ever came along. And it was tough, but he did it anyway. Now all of us can at times fall prey to the valleys of life. They are going to come. And if you've never been in a valley, it's not when, or it's not if, it's when, right? But I think we've probably all been there. Even though Elijah had these victories, he could still be discouraged. Are faithful Christians discouraged in this life from time to time? Absolutely. We're discouraged because of our own actions sometimes, aren't we? And we think, why in the world? What am I doing? I don't even want to do this. But I allowed myself to get to a weakened point where I just sat down in the valley. We can't do that. That would have happened to Elijah. Just because he was a prophet of God did not mean God would have prevented him from simply giving up. Notice what God did. He simply encouraged. He encouraged. He gave comfort. He talked to him. He tried to get him moving and he did get moving. That's what we learn from Elijah. It's okay to be discouraged, but get out of the valley. And there are ways out. But we need help sometimes, and we better accept the help, right? We can't barricade ourselves away from the world, from those who are willing to help us. We have to accept the help, much like Elijah did. You've never obeyed the gospel. Accept the comfort of God tonight. Come to Him through faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living, and then one day we'll be comforted for eternity. If you've done that, you've become unfaithful. Don't sit down in the valley. Get out of the valley. And God has left a pathway for us to find Him through repentance and confession, whether publicly or privately. If you've fallen away, God wants you to come back. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.